You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Welcome to Calvary Chapel Paris. Thank you so much for coming today. Please grab a Bible and open it up to the book of Matthew, chapter 7 this morning. And if you would, take out your study guide. You can follow along with us. We've got the outline there for you, as well as some questions on the back. If you need a Bible, some guys coming down the aisle right now, just lift up your hand. Matthew chapter 7. Really quickly before we get started, I uh, want to say two things. First of all, um, if you are here this morning and you know of somebody or uh, there's somebody in your life that doesn't come to church here because it's not very accessible for them. I'm speaking of anybody that has a special need uh, or a hearing, hearing impaired uh, we want to do all that we can in our power to try to make this place more accessible uh, to everybody so that they can make it here on a Sunday morning and, and worship with us as a body. So uh, if you know of a situation like that and, and we can do something about it, please email the church uh, and our leadership team would like to uh, uh, get in touch and try to figure out what we can do to, to, to make things uh, more accommodating. Also, the second thing I want to bring up this morning before we get started is... Um, Mark, uh, talking about a mission trip to Costa Rica. Uh, for those of you that are interested in international missions, we are hoping to take a trip, a small team from our church, uh, the second and third week of the month of March. And there are really two different needs that we're looking to fill. Uh, one is we're looking for some people that can go in that second week of March to help serve at the pastors conference, the Central American Pastors Conference, which uh, we are uh, helping to host as a church. And I'll also be one of the speakers at that conference. And uh, we're hoping to have about 70 pastors from all over Central America coming down to Costa Rica for that conference. So we're looking for some volunteers to help us serve and put that on. And then the third week uh, is... The, the uh, week that we're trying to open it up to everybody at the church, any, any youth from high school age group that can make it, and your parents will let you. Maybe your parents can come with you, but we would love to have you guys come down, and we'll be focusing that week, the second week there, or the third week of March, on some outreach with two different Calvary chapels, local Calvary chapels there in Costa Rica. So if you're interested... We're going to have a quick meeting after church today, right there in the prayer chapel. I've got a, a prospectus put together for those that are interested, and I would love to sit and answer any questions and talk some more about it with those that are interested in going to Costa Rica. And speaking of Costa Rica, they're going to be embarrassed, but we have some friends visiting us from Costa Rica this morning, Jill and Gustavo, and uh, they're right down here in front, and Gustavo is a teacher. Uh, he teaches tourism at, the, at a high school there in Costa Rica, and, and Jill is a, is a lawyer, and they recently had a son named Tiago, who's enjoying the children's ministry right now, uh, six or eight months old, so uh, welcome them this morning. Thanks for coming. Do we have anybody else that's visiting us from the international scene? Okay, just wanted to check and make sure. You never know. Matthew chapter 7, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do come and we ask your blessing upon this time. Lord, we know that uh, we need you. We know that your Holy Spirit opens up our hearts and our minds to receive godly truth. We pray that that would happen this morning, that you would penetrate our lives with your truth, and Lord, that it would be 
seen in such a way that it comes out of us in our actions, in our words, in our thoughts, Lord. And Lord Jesus, we give this time to you. We worship you. How blessed it is to come, Lord, and to worship you with the brothers and sisters in unity this morning. We just pray your blessing over the service. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in a series right now called The Roots of Calvary, uh, speaking about basic truths that the church is built on, that the church is called to operate by. Uh, We're looking at different practical ways that as a church we need to be functioning. And as has been the, the custom in the past here at Calvary Chapel Paris to kind of lay out the vision for the church at the beginning of the year. That's basically, in a sense, what I'm trying to do. I'm just doing it perhaps in a different way, uh, looking at and addressing some of the basic truths about church life and about us functioning together. We've already looked at the first one, which is the good news. We're built on the good news and preaching Christ and Him crucified. That's what we're to be about as a church. That's what our focus is. Secondly, we looked at making disciples, the Great Commission. And how it is a co-mission, right? We're partnering with Jesus Christ to take the gospel to uh, uh, those that need the gospel, which really begins with us. We need the gospel every day as believers, but then we're reaching out and we're teaching others about Jesus Christ. We're baptizing them in his name and, and seeking to make followers of Christ as a church. Thirdly, and last week, we looked at the, the, the principle there of the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit in the church today, and how uh, we need to be a church that is dependent upon the Spirit to do the Lord's work. It's not by our might, it's not by our power. <laughs> we can't make these things happen. We can't spread the gospel, we can't make disciples unless the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts and giving us that pure motive of love in order to make that happen, as well as the gifts that we need in order to make that happen. And now today, we'll be looking at the topic of self-confrontation. Next week, we have one more. We'll be looking at church discipline and forgiveness. Should be exciting. Come out for that. Um, We'll have an example for you. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) A while back, we were involved with a radio program here in Paris that was called Two Minute Answers to Questions About Life. And one of the questions that came to us through the program was this. Uh, The the writer wrote this. I thought that the Bible says that you shouldn't judge others, else you be judged too. So why do Christians feel they have the right to tell a woman what to do with her body in regards to abortion? Ouch. Good question. I I felt it was a very good question for our program. Um, And I also felt that it expressed something that is out there that seems to, that where there seems to be a lot of confusion both in and outside of the church today. And so that's the question we're going to be looking at today. Are we supposed to judge? And if so, what are we to be judging and how should we judge? And then it's my hope to be able to tie this into why this is a basic operating principle for our church fellowship. So let's go ahead and read Matthew chapter 7, 1 through 5. And then I would like to pray one more time. Judge not, the word of God says, that you be not judged. For with, that, with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck 
from your brother's eye. Let me pray one more time. Father, as we've read through your holy text this morning, the holy scriptures, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would take the truth of this message, penetrate our hearts and lives with it, Lord. We pray that as a church, we could grab onto these biblical concepts, Lord, of confronting ourselves before we look to restore and help others. Lord, that we would be a church that is all about the business of uh, first uh, repenting of our own sin, Lord, realizing that we are sinners with a deep need for the good news of Jesus Christ in our lives. And Lord, that, that then we might go and seek to restore a brother or a sister, the others that you bring into our lives, Lord, that need that help. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The other day, I happened to leave my cell phone behind here at the church uh, after I went home. And as I got home, I realized, man, I left my cell phone. And you know how it is these days with these smartphones. You can't just leave them laying around. It's like a $700 thing laying around that you don't want to lose. And so I felt the obligation to go back to the church and to get it. And and, uh, it was at that time that Rebecca actually volunteered to go get it for me. She said, hey, I know you're tired. Why don't you sit down and rest? And I said, Okay, <laughs> and I took a seat, and, and she lovingly went back to the church to get my cell phone for me. But when my daughter discovered why it was that her mom was having to go back to the church again, she looked at me with a big smile on her face and this kind of a look that said, I got you now, Dad. And she said, oh, so you left your cell phone laying around at the church, hey, Dad? How irresponsible. <laughs> she got me good. You see, those were the exact same words that I had used on her when she left some of her personal belongings at a friend's house. It was a classic case of getting the same treatment that I had measured out to my daughter. And it made me think of the text that we're studying today. As many of you know, these verses can be used as an attack on Christianity. Uh, They attack us when we try to speak up about what is right and wrong in our society today. And I've even heard Christians that use them on other Christians to try to silence them. So our first point in this message this morning is dealing with the question, to judge or not to judge. And you'll find that on your outline, to judge or not to judge. Now, if you take a look at the context one more time of these verses you can see that Jesus is not saying that we are never to distinguish between right and wrong. In fact, in verse 3 and 4, we see that there is discernment taking place. There is judgment being made in the form of identifying sinful behavior in the life of a brother or a sister. And also, in verse 6, we read that Jesus assumes that we will be able to, as Christians, as disciples, to make a judgment call about the actions of a person. And whether or not they're worthy to receive the godly truths that we're trying to give them. The word used in the Greek language for the word judge is important. We need to define that this morning before we move on. The the word is krino in the Greek language. And it has really a variety of different meanings. But the meaning that applies to this particular text is as follows. It means to pronounce judgment to subject to censure. One more time, to pronounce judgment, to subject to censure. That's the meaning specifically that uh, applies to the word for krino in this text. In the Strong's Concordance, it says uh, this. It says, it's to properly, 
or to distinguish, for example, to decide by implication to try to condemn, to punish. And also the Thayer's Greek lexicon adds this description to its particular use here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. And it says, it is used of those who judge severely, unfairly, finding fault with this or that in others. Hence, to condemn. To condemn. Okay, so that is the, that is the context there. That's the, the proper definition uh, for the word krino used here in Matthew chapter 7 and, and, and forward. Now, I hope that this helps to bring a little bit more clarity. Jesus, in verse 1, he's referring to the person who looks at someone and assumes the position of judge over them, pronouncing a judgment of condemnation against them in their mind. Okay? Oftentimes this happens in our minds. It's not necessarily with our words. We've all heard the old adage, don't judge a book by its cover. That is, in a sense, part of what Jesus is warning us about here in verses 1 and 2. Jesus is condemning the practice that we human beings have of sizing one another up in our minds and then critically passing judgment upon each other in a severe, unfair manner. We do this in a number of ways, don't we? Sometimes only having the slightest bit of knowledge about someone will pass judgment upon them in our minds. In fact, if we're honest, many of us pass condemning judgments of others based on what are solely outward appearances. We sum someone up with our eyes and think that we know enough about the person to go ahead and judge their hearts. You know, it really happens all the time. Just recently, I thought it was kind of funny in the news. I don't know if any of you caught this, but there was a bit of an uproar in the media about Donald Trump. Because he said 2 Corinthians instead of 2 Corinthians. And so the big debate was whether or not Bible Trump, or Donald Trump knew his Bible, right? <laughs> Bible Trump, that's an oxymoron maybe. But. but it was interesting to listen to the way that they were just really judging the guy for saying 2 Corinthians as opposed to 1 Corinthians. And his, his argument was classic. You know, he said, well, my mother-in-law is from Scotland or something like that. And, and they say 2 Corinthians in Scotland. He's right, they do as well as England, so I don't think he was that wrong, but interesting to see how he was getting judged so harshly for those words. Let's take just a second, though, this morning, and I want to look at three reasons why it's wrong to judge others in a critical, condemning way. First of all, judging others critically indicates that you have a mistaken perspective of God, okay? It indicates that you have a mistaken perspective of God, The Bible clearly states for us that God is the only one in a position to judge. Listen to what James chapter 4, 11 and 12 says. It's on the screen for you. It says, do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. So when we begin to speak against someone, we put ourselves in the only position that we are in the position that only God can have. And that is lawgiver and judge. It's really a great commentary, those verses in James on uh, Matthew 7, 1, the, the, the passage we're studying today. You see, if you're constantly speaking against a brother or a sister, you've got a problem in your heart. It's a wrong perspective about God. You see, you are confused thinking you 
have that role in that person's life. But the, the fact is that you're not the lawgiver. We used to say in the Marines, who died and made you boss when there was a young Lance Corporal that would try to take control and try to run things in our platoon? Who died and made you the boss? We might say that of a Christian who begins to judge uh, critically and condemningly to another person. The idea that you are always right. The idea that everyone else just can't seem to see it. The idea that, man, no one's meeting my expectations here. Those are all signs that you're, you're judging someone in a critical manner, in an unfair way. You need to watch out if that's you. Uh, especially men who are in charge of your families. The way that we measure it out to our families is exactly how we'll receive it back someday. Maybe it'll happen in such a way that you end up alone because no one can stand to be around you. No one can meet your expectations. You'll say, where's everyone when I need them? Well, maybe you were so busy trying to be God in their lives that they just can't stand to be around you anymore. That is, that is something that I pray for my own life that, that doesn't happen. Because it's, it's important to realize we are not the lawgiver. We're not the judge. Only God takes that role in his sovereignty, in his perfection. He alone can see the motives of your heart, the motives of my heart. He alone has that place to be able to judge Truly and justly. Secondly, I would point out this morning that judging others critically indicates that you have a mistaken perspective of others. You have a mistaken perspective of others. When you and I criticize someone else, it's usually because in our hearts we feel that in some way we're superior to them. Or at least we want to be. But here's the truth. We're all judged on an equal playing field in God's eyes. Look at some of the examples from Scripture. Perhaps you're here this morning and you have had the thought, we probably all have, but maybe you think uh, you're more attractive or handsome than someone else. Or maybe you're on the other side of it. You're thinking, man, I'm not as attractive or as handsome or beautiful as those other people. But you know what? Scripture shows us that our outward appearance isn't the most important thing to God. He's most interested in your heart. Listen to the the word of God in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. It says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Perhaps you're here this morning and you have thought that you are special or better than someone else. Uh, perhaps your wife because of your gender. Uh, perhaps you're here this morning thinking that you're better than someone else because of your race. Okay, unfortunately, that happens today. But scripture tells us the opposite. It says in Genesis 1 verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In Galatians 3 Verse 27 and 28 says this, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. That should remove for us any kind of racial prejudice. Any kind of discrimination 
based on gender as well for the Christian. Now, God doesn't discriminate towards anyone by their outward appearance, for the color of their skin, for their sex, or for their economic status. Listen to what James chapter 2, 1 through 4 says. It says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, You stand there. Or sit here at my footstool, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? The Lord doesn't look upon man that way. He doesn't look upon us in that way. What matters to the Lord is the inward character of our hearts. So as we see here, judging critically against someone shows that you have a mistaken perspective of not only God, but also other people and how God looks at them. Thirdly, this morning, judging others critically indicates that you have a mistaken perspective of yourself. Jesus tells us a parable about this kind of a mistaken perspective of self, recording the following story for us in Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 13. He says this, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner." Jesus says that it was that second man, the tax collector, who was genuine and sincere before the Lord that went home justified that day. He's the one who went home forgiven. Like the Pharisee, when you and I presume to condemn others in our minds based on outward, shallow appearances, the shallow knowledge that we have of that person, we manifest pride. But we are not God. We cannot know a person's heart. Just as the tax collector whose heart was genuine went home forgiven, not the religious man, I wonder how many of us come to church thinking that we're good with God because we're checking off the boxes. All outward appearances look great. We live the religious lie, so to speak, and Yet it is the one who comes here desperate for God, desperate for forgiveness, knowing that their life is messed up. They're the ones that actually leave being touched by the Lord, being forgiven by God. This is a battle that we all face. It's the battle against pride. It's a continuous cycle in our lives, isn't it? Boy, we can be broken by the Lord, can't we, over our sin. We can cry out and call out and confess, but then... It seems that two weeks later after we've we've been doing good, that pride seems to creep in through the back door and we find ourselves once again puffing the chest out and looking to judge somebody that's not doing as well as we're doing at that particular time in our lives. Both of those attitudes, well, actually, I I back up for a second. I want to say that pride will manifest itself in two different ways. First of all, there's sex, self... (laughs) 
scratch that out of your minds. Self-exaltation, right? I just skipped the L and the F and went straight to the EX. Self-exaltation. You know what to pray for me on, right? No, I'm just kidding. Self-exaltation is a manifestation of pride in that we're thinking always of ourselves. We're thinking how to better ourselves, promote ourselves. But then there's the opposite of that, which is another manifestation of pride, and that is false humility. You know? Poor me, or the pity party, you're thinking, you know... You know, I just don't have it as good as everybody. I, you know, really don't thank me. It it wasn't me, you know, we, but, but it was. And, you know, we have this idea that, you know, we have this opposite side of self-exaltation where we try to abase ourselves, but we're really just manifesting a false kind of pride. Both of those are sinful. They both cause us to think wrongly towards others because we're mistaken about our own importance. Listen to the Apostle Paul's words in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. He said, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. What he's saying there when he says to think soberly is that we need to think seriously about it. We need to make a serious assessment and not be wrong in thinking more highly of ourselves than we should. This brings me to the second part of our message today. And, and what I feel is a very important practice for every individual Christian in our church. And that is the practice of self-confrontation. You see, if we're to think soberly about ourselves. And not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We need to understand what it means to judge ourselves before we attempt to help others. The Apostle Peter said that judgment begins with the house of God. And hopefully that judgment is initiated by each individual Christian. That you and I would take a serious look at our own lives before looking to uh, criticize another person. Jesus lays out this principle of self-confrontation for us in Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5. Would you read with me one more time? Jesus says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? Or splinter in your brother's eye. But do not consider the plank in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother. Let me remove the speck from your eye. And look a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So obviously Jesus was not saying. That a Christian should never judge He says plainly right here that we are to judge, we are to discern, we are to distinguish and to decide in our minds about what is good and evil. And we're to start that process by examining our own heart, our own life. That's the first place that we're to begin. Notice that a splinter and a plank are both made from the same substance, right? Isn't it interesting Jesus is telling us that the problem that we're so upset about in somebody else's life, it's actually the same problem that we have. That's probably why we can spot it so easily, right? (laughs) We, We suffer from the same symptoms. We know what sin looks like. Do you remember the story of King David? He illustrates the point that Jesus is making here perfectly with one of the situations in his life. He was sitting upon his cushioned throne one day taking it easy when a prophet named Nathan appeared and came before him and he asked for his help in the judgment of a certain issue. 
And the prophet Nathan explained to David that there was this rich man who had a lot of sheep and he was neighbors with a poor man who only had one sheep that was precious to their family, which they brought into their house to even sleep inside with them every day. And that that one day a, a foreigner came and visited the rich man and the rich man decided not to kill one of his own many sheep, but rather went next door and took the poor man's sheep, the, the only sheep that he had, and killed that one and prepared it for his guest. Well, when David heard that story, his anger was so kindled up, he, he got so mad, and picture him red in the face and shouted, this man shall surely die. He, he overreacted, didn't he? And we all know why. The funny thing about that is, is that even the law of Moses did not prescribe the death penalty for that crime. But it did for David's crime because David was guilty of murder and adultery, both which were punishable in the Mosaic law by stoning to death. We all remember the next famous words of the prophet. He looked at David and said, you are the man Let's remember that when we point a finger at somebody else, we've got three pointing right back to us. We are the man or woman, as the case may apply. But the truth that pierced David's heart that day caused him to deal with the plank in his own eye. He could no longer ignore it. He'd been shown clearly that he was the one with the problem. He confessed his sin and he repented and the Lord forgave him graciously. And it's a great story of the forgiveness of God, the mercy, the grace that God offers to you and to me this day as well. That's what Jesus wants us to do. <clears throat> so let's think for a minute about this principle of self-confrontation and, and that this is to occur regularly in our lives. To properly judge, we must, number one, learn to identify and deal with sin in our own lives first. We must learn to identify and deal with sin in our own lives first. And let me be clear here. The Bible does give Christians both the right and the responsibility to judge between right and wrong. And, and let me actually back up and say this first. The Bible, know, or the Bible recognizes that you and I are going to be struggling with the flesh our entire lives. It's just we, we're never going to be perfect in this world. We're in the process of sanctification. Okay, the Lord knows that. Okay, so don't be discouraged here. We're never going to be completely <clears throat> sin-free. But on the other hand, I would also encourage you this morning, Christians. The Bible teaches with clarity that you and I, as men and women following Jesus, we can be free from the domination of sin in our lives. It's not to say that we're not going to struggle with it. <clears throat> we're still going to be tempted by it. We'll still slip up and fall and make mistakes. It's part of our Christian walk. It's part of our human life. <clears throat> we live in a cursed world. But we can reach a point, brothers and sisters, where sin no longer dominates our thought life, no longer dominates our actions, okay? where we can be free from those things. That's the beauty of the good news of Jesus Christ. So the Bible tells us, look, we have the right and the responsibility to judge between right and wrong. In fact, there's many passages in the Word of God that explain to us that we're to discern and judge between the words and the actions of others, especially those who say they serve God. According to Scripture, we should identify false prophets and false doctrine. That's Matthew 7, verses 15 and 16. 
Jesus tells us that we'll know them by their fruits, which is another way of saying their works. Works is nothing more than your words, your thoughts, and your actions. So you'll know them. You'll know false doctrine or or false prophets. We're also to uh, identify when a Christian sins against you or me. That's Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. We should be able to identify when somebody uh, sins against us. And then Jesus tells us what to do after that. And that's actually the passage we'll be studying next week. So we look at church discipline and forgiveness. Thirdly, we, we know that we're to, those who cause division in the church are to be identified by church leaders. They're to be identified. That's Romans 16. And then we also should be able to identify what is good and what is evil. And the scripture for that is Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. A mature Christian, we know that they're mature because they can identify, they can discern what is good and what is evil. Those are just a few examples of how a Christian should be uh, uh, identifying and making a determination of right and wrong in our lives. The point that Jesus makes is that before we go off pointing our fingers at others, criticizing others' lives, we need to first identify and acknowledge our own sin. Then we confess it. We repent from it. We do that. We do that by turning away from it. And then we prayerfully seek out someone to help us be accountable in that area of our lives. Okay? Uh, if you're here this morning and you are not experiencing freedom, you're, there's an area of your life that's being dominated by a certain sin. Hey, that's an ideal situation for you to begin to look for help within the church. There, there are brothers and sisters that go to this church that have experienced victory and are walking in victory. Their lives are not dominated by sin. And, and you can seek them out. And I'm available as well. The church staff is available. We're here for you. But this is how a church is to operate. You should be prayerfully seeking someone out and seeking to meet with them and begin to work. See what scripture has to say about this and to deal with this together and have an older brother, more mature brother or sister in the Lord walk with you through those things so that you too can begin to now disciple others and taking them in that, in that following of Jesus Christ. So our goal as Christians is to address the sin in our lives and to be living in such a way that we're not dominated by any particular sin. We want to be in the light as God is in the light. And then, secondly, when we've repented of our own sin, we should seek to restore others. We should seek to restore others. To not seek to help others that you know are stumbling in their Christian walk is actually to be unloving towards them. Think about that. To know that there's a Christian brother or sister in our family that is stumbling and on the brink of perhaps destroying their soul, destroying their life. And to not reach out to them and help them is to not love them. It's to be unloving. Jesus gives us another great illustration of this. When his disciples came up to eat the Last Supper with Jesus in the upper room, Jesus made an assessment that night. He passed judgment on their feet. He noted that they were stinky and dirty. Now, did he publicize that in the Christian post? Did he pinch his nose and complain, man, you guys, 
Seriously. Did he make derogatory remarks about their upbringing? Not at all. Instead, after he had identified the source of stench, he quietly wrapped a towel around himself and he proceeded to restore their feet to a clean state. And he even told them, this is what we do. We wash each other and God's word washes us and this is how we make it through life. Because inevitably, you and I, in walking in this world, in this world system, we will get our feet dirty. We will all get our feet dirty. So we need to be in the, in the business of restoration just as Jesus modeled that for us. This is what we're commanded to do in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. We all struggle. We all sin. And everyone who interacts with the worldly system in which we live, for work, for school, or for play, your feet are going to get dirty. But restoration starts with you. It starts with you and the plank that's in your own eye. It starts by saying just what the tax collector said that day. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So have you blown it this week? Or how about maybe this morning on the way to church? We all blow it. We all have, truth be told, made judgments, critically condemning others in our minds. Yet Jesus makes a provision for you and for me. He's done everything that can be done for you and for me so that we are forgiven. He has died on the cross. He shed his perfect sinless blood in order to not only cover our sins, but also to remove them completely, forever. He has made us into a new creation, made us friends with God again, and he has restored us to a right relationship with God through his sacrifice on the cross. And now, as his precious children, as the church, the body of Christ this morning, he's telling us not to judge each other critically. He's telling us to identify sin in our own lives first and confess it and to turn away from it in order to follow him more closely. And he's asking us to look to restore those around us who may be being hurt, who may be being deceived this morning by the power of sin in their own lives. You see, sin is so deceitful, isn't it? The way that it destroys, the way that it affects so much more than we think it does. So the Lord is asking us to look to restore those around us. That's what it means to be a part of the church. If you've come here for any number of years, you'll know that the church is not perfect. We're a dysfunctional family. You'll know that as soon as I joined the church, we got big problems. Because I have problems. I'm a sinner. And I need God's mercy. That's why we need the principle of self-confrontation. It's an ongoing process in our lives. The Lord is calling you to uh, bring that, that view, that perspective inward. Not to a, a point of being morbid. 
Not to a point of saying, oh man, I'm never, you know, I'm not worthy. You know, we can get depressed as Christians when we look inward for too long. But we do need to look at ourselves and we need to say, hey, am I following the principles that Jesus is laying out? Am I making sure that I'm not critically condemning others when really I've got an issue in my own heart? And I'm not saying that anybody here is. It's just something that God has put on my heart to share this morning. Because if we're ever going to become a a, a church that is advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ in this community, then our community has to be able to look at us and go, hmm, they love each other. In spite of all their dysfunctionalness, in spite of all the problems, in spite of the sin, I see the way that they treat each other and the way that they come alongside one another. And, and, And didn't Jesus tell us that? He said that the world will know you by your love for one another. Let's pray.